if there was one passage every godly parent would want their child to master before they left the home, I believe this is one they would want them to master. The passage before us this morning, I believe, is fundamental to our understanding of life to the extent that we are attentive to this passage to that same extent our life will not only be more pleasing to our Lord but our life will be a lot easier to live this morning we come to the passage that talks about sowing and reaping it's not just that some of us sow and some of us do not. But all of us sow all of our days. And that's what this passage talks about. Life is a bit like painting by number. When you open the first paint can with number one on it and you begin to paint the number one squares, you can't make any sense out of the picture. But in that disciplined way, as you go stroke by stroke, investing, as it were, sewing in that canvas, then there emerges the picture with all of its glory, if you follow the directions, or if you've uh, gone rogue and decided you wanted to do it your own way, why, it will look somewhat different. By the way, how is your canvas? What does it look like? Um, did you grow up on the farm? Do you have a garden? What's the sowing like in your life? Oh, what should we anticipate in the reaping? Because this law applies across the board for all of us. We sow and then we reap. Let's use it as a tool to See how the field is coming in our own lives. Come with me to Galatians chapter 6. I want to read the first 10 verses to you. We even use the Eng English maxim. Oh, he was off sowing his wild oats. That maxim stems from this understanding of life, that in life we make choices that influence outcomes and we either invest one way or the other in the flesh or in the spirit. Let's consider this fundamental biblical maxim for life. It's in Galatians 6, 6 through 10. I want to read 1 through 10, but this morning our focus will be 6 through 10. But let me come back and get some of the context. Galatians 6.1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone 
and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. The verses before us this morning. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, I want to go two different directions. First, three observations that will help us crawl into the skin of Galatians 6, 6 through 10. I want to comment on the whole 10 verses and how these five verses fit into this context. So first, three observations that will enrich our study this morning. Then secondly, what should be embedded in our hearts as we leave this morning after looking at these five verses? So first, our reading of these five verses is enriched by these three observations. At first glance, Galatians 6, 1 through 10 can very much seem like it doesn't fit together. Uh, but let me remind you that the focus of these 10 verses is on others. At the heart of Christianity is a selfless living that is looking out to others. It is not a preoccupation with self as much as it is a preoccupation with others. So others who have fallen, others who are teaching, and a preoccupation with how we are to live, that's 6, 7 through 6, 10. So let's make three observations. First, don't miss the sequence in Galatians 6. Now you have to argue that uh, when you get to verses 6 and 7, it has an edge on it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That's quite a preamble. You say, well, what's coming next? Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. But before he gets to what could argue is a strident word to us about living, notice what he said. He front loads in front of that this whole notion of restoration. You see, in Graceland, our first default is always to restore the fallen. That's what we talked about last week. That's what he talks about in verse 1. You who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Please don't miss the fact that in this 6, through 10, six 1 through 10 focus on others, he starts with a gentle spirit of restoration, and he says that first and front loads that first before he ever gets to the more hard-hitting verse, don't. Be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It softens the intensity of these verses, and they are, in fact, intense. 
Even the warning of verses 6 and 7 are for our health. But before the warning drops, his theme leading is restoration. I love the inclinations of Graceland. This other's focus, let's help the fallen, the spiritual or those who reclaim, driven as we are by the fruit of the Spirit and reaching for others. Observation number one, don't miss the sequence of Galatians 6. Number two, at first glance, Galatians 6, 6 can seem out of place, but it does fit in this context. This context is the living out of Christianity, which by its definition is not self-focused, it's others-focused. So you get to the focus on the fallen. Let's graciously and gently come in. You get to verse 6, he's talking about those who teach. Now, it's very fascinating for a preacher to come to Galatians 6.6. And there's two ways that preachers come to Galatians 6.6. Number one, they come with the hard edge preaching for a raise. Can I get an amen? That was a joke. (laughs) Troy, thank you. Thank you, brother. They're preachers that are fervently preaching, wanting a raise. Then there are preachers who are gratefully acknowledging how well the church cares for its staff. I want to tell you about a conversation I had this week that I believe is representative of our staff. I sat down with a staff member this week who knew we were stumbling up on Galatians 6.6. 6, and he says, what are, you, what are you doing with that verse this week? And we talked about it a little bit. And then he said this. And as he did, he began to uh, emote and man cry a little bit. He said, you know what? Calvary's very good to our team. Calvary takes good care of us. Sends our kids to the Christian school and pays for them to be enrolled. Pays us bountifully. Not nobody's making a Fortune 500 salary, but pays us so that we can get on in life. Pays us generously. And I want you to know that we are grateful. And as we come to verse 6 in Galatians chapter 6, it's like, yay, Calvary. Calvary has read this verse long before actually all of us got here, and they've sought to obey it, and it shows up in what we're doing. And I want you to know as our staff, we see that, and we are grateful. So at first glance, it looks like 6-6. What's that doing here? He's talking about others. What do we do with the fallen? We reach for them with gentleness. What do we do with those laboring to teach us the word of God? We bountifully share with them. Now he turns and he goes to another theme that we're going to talk about. But I want you to know this third observation is so important. Deceit and giving up are different issues but very real threats for you and for me. Notice them with me. Here he identifies two threats. Here he identifies two perils. Verse 7, please note, it is easy to be deceived. I'll tell you what, Eric, I'm a follower of Jesus. Please note, this is written to followers of Jesus. And it's a command. And here's the command. Don't be deceived. 
which we would have to conclude from that command that Paul thought that deception for the follower of Jesus was possible. Now, is anyone deceived here this morning? Here's what Paul says. Don't be deceived. It's a command. Don't be deceived. What, 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 Eric, what do we deceive ourselves with? We deceive ourselves with notions that believe that we can mock God. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We deceive ourselves when we think that we have the capacity to mock God. And when you first read that, you say, Eric, there's you know, over 7 billion people in the world. There's some God mockers out there. What do you mean? Now, here's what he's saying. The, the word mocked is actually a word that means nose and up. It's sticking your nose up at God. How dare you ask anything of me? How dare you fence my life in with any command? I can do whatever I want. I will make whatever choice I want. That's thumbing your nose at God. And Paul says, God is not mocked. It doesn't escape God that you have chosen to live the way you have lived. You are not hiding from him. You are not avoiding him. You will not avoid the great day. We must all stand before, and here's this title for God in the book of Hebrews, this one before whom we have to do. Nobody gets away with anybody, anything. And we will all be called to appear before the living God and stand instead for how we have lived. God is not mocked. Is there any part of our behavior that's turning its nose up to something God has asked us to do. Or something God has for our good asked us to avoid. This is a spirit of, I don't care what he says. I'm going to do what I want. Now, the deception centers around the answer to the question, is sin a big deal or not? We are deceived, remember, do not be deceived. We are deceived when we conclude that breaking God's law has no consequence. Now please note, who is he writing to? He's writing to followers of Jesus Christ, telling them, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, deception cuts in many directions. For the unbeliever who doesn't believe God exists, who doesn't believe God calls us to responsible living, doesn't believe we are responsible to God for how we have lived, that's one kind of being deceived. But believers can be deceived. We can tell ourselves, I've been forgiven. 
there was Good Friday, my sin was cared for, and yes, indeed it was, if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But please note that believers are not exempt from the consequence of their own sowing. I have a dear friend who was having an extraordinary career as a pharmaceutical salesperson. Uh, I forgot what drug company it was, but they had the sleep aid Ambien, which has made a lot of money for the company. And they even told him, and it became his solar plexus, that Achilles heel that, that uh, uh, took him down. They told him, look, use the product so you know what you're telling the people uh, for its use. Well, he abused the product. He had infinite runs of samples. And it took him utterly to a devastating place. It actually took him to a criminal place. He, uh, uh, it was a great fall. As it were, lying on this back of the fall, Jesus Christ came by with his grace and reached for him. And Doug wondrously repented of his sin and gave his life to Christ and went forward. But he went forward with the legacy of these choices that he had made, including in states where he'd had multiple DUIs and skipped court appearances and skipped bail and left. And he purposed, when he got his heart right with the Lord, he says, I'm, I'm going to face whatever I have to face. I remember one trip to Oklahoma where he went back, stood before the judge, and talked to the judge about the glory of the grace of God, which changes a man's life about the wonder of knowing Jesus Christ and the weight of guilt and shame being lifted in forgiveness. And when you give your life to Christ, you have a new day and that that's what he had done. The judge marveled at the story and put him back in jail for the rest of his term, you know, to, to work it all. Doug did it happily because he just wanted to put that whole thing behind him. Are we forgiven? Absolutely. Uh, are all the consequences removed? No, that's why Paul's writing to believers and he says, God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. One threat is that we would be deceived. If you're here this morning and you think, hey, I can do whatever I want, you are Deceived. Because God has woven into the fiber of life a way that life works that means we are responsible for how we act. Now the second threat, the second peril is here as well. It's not only that we would uh, be deceived, but another threat is in verse 9, that we would give up. It's a completely different kind of threat but that we would give up, that in the midst of well-doing, in the midst of good sowing, we would just quit. By the way, the preamble for quitting, for giving up, is in verse um, 9 in the beginning. It's growing weary. Are you weary this morning? Notice he says, 
Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. How are you this morning? Are you weary? It happens. For some, their weariness can be a prelude for giving up. In fact, it's the first stage. Have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like quitting? I have. And I still do from time to time. And a verse like this is a goad that keeps me going. A verse like 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7 where Paul says, you know, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. The longer I get, I realize how much weariness you have to work through to get to that resolve. Along the way in life, I've recognized not only do you have to push through weariness, you have to push back against thoughts that encourage us. Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just give out? Why don't you just quit? No, here's the declaration. We shall reap, but it's conditioned, verse 9, if we faint not. Isn't it interesting that nobody is playing the long game like followers of Jesus Christ? We're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing. Eric, where's the harvest? We're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing. Eric, where's the harvest? We're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing. We shall reap eternal life. Which means some of our reaping is not going to emerge in time. But it shall emerge in eternity. We shall reap eternal life. Nobody plays a long game like us. Some of us are going to die before we reap. And Paul's encouragement is don't quit before you die. Don't grow weary. Keep at it. Keep going. Some reaping is realized in time, but some is realized in eternity. Let's stay at it. Now, what then are the three great takeaways from this passage in these verses? If that sets the context, what about living? First of all, verse 7, the universe is under the control of inviolable laws. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Inviolable means never to be broken, infringed, or dishonored. Let's take the law of gravity from nature and how God made the world. If you get on an airplane and say, you know what, I think I'll just open the door right now and I'll just step out. Say, I don't believe in the law of gravity. Whether or not you believe in the law of gravity will not have a bearing on how you will drop like a rock because the law of gravity exists whether you believe it or not. You'll drop like a rock and pancake on the ground. You can't violate that law without the consequence. So here Paul uses, and they're all farmers in the first century, a law from botany, plant life, sowing and reaping. Many of us after Mother's Day will put a few seeds in the ground. We understand this. Please note, there are two realms of sowing and only two. Either we sow to the flesh, that's what he's been talking about, ways of life, 
that are 519, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He lists 14, the summing worse, there's more of them, things like these. There are people whose lives are characterized by those 14 traits. They sow, they live, they conduct their life down the lanes of those 14. And it reaps a harvest of corruption. But then there's sowing to the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's those who purpose to live yielded to Christ based on those nine themes. The whole world is explained by people living in one of these two spheres, in one of these two approaches for living. What is your approach to life? What characterizes you, the flesh or the spirit? This law is as fundamental to living as gravity is to nature. What are you sowing today? John Stott has said, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, 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 to the flesh. The universe is under the control of inviolable laws. Secondly, we need to fold into our heart this notion that the great lie is that there is no consequence for sin. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The oldest lie and the first lie in God's book, the Bible, is the most influential. It was that, what that serpent of old, Satan, told Eve. You shall not surely die. He questions the word of God. Has God really said? You shall not surely die. What's he doing? He's smuggling into her heart, and she bit hard on it, the notion that there is no consequence for sin, that it doesn't matter how we live. It comes with no consequence. Nothing could be farther from the truth. That's a great lie. Satan constantly says it doesn't matter how we live. Go ahead and do it. There is no consequence. That lie has ruined the human race that Jesus Christ came to redeem. I want to ask everyone under 35 years old here, what about this lie? Where are you with this lie? There's no more important lie to jettison than the lie that says there is no consequence for how I order my life. In fact, it can feel like I can live however I want to. 
And you can live that way to your 50 years old, but after 50 years old, you have to live with the consequences of how you lived before you were 50 years old. And some people die in the bitterness of the consequence for how they lived up to the time they were 50. This modern maxim, we make our decisions and our decisions make us, is really a footnote on God is not mocked, do not be deceived, whatever a man says, that shall he also reap. I ask you, have you embraced the great lie? And I ask you another question. I was pondering it as I prepared this week. I wonder if God has brought you here this morning to deal with something. In your heart of hearts, you know that the Spirit of God is pursuing you to face your sin with repentance and faith. To receive the grace of God. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Finally. This earthly life is full of opportunity. Look at verse 10. I love that word. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What is life? You know what Paul says? He says it's a divinely given gift and opportunity to step into life and sow. What do we sow? Sow by the Spirit to take advantage of the opportunities that are before us. By the way, did you notice it takes patience in verse 9? One thing that's hard for the faithful is to wait for what he describes as due season, that due season of reaping. Because we can plant, 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 sow, 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 and scratch our head and say, God, when is this going to come up? doesn't look anything like Jack and the Beanstalk's beans. We cultivate faithfulness. We count on God's promise. We know the harvest is coming. And we patiently keep going. Have you ever planted a seed with a child? It's fun. You get out the potting soil, get the little pot, and you, 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 you plant it, and they get so excited. They're so jacked. They go to bed. The next morning, you see them in there, and they're looking at it, and they get this forlorn look on their face. You say, what's wrong? It didn't work. What? It didn't work. It's not up. It hasn't happened. It's very important for us to be patient, to stay at it, not to grow weary, because the harvest is coming, and we shall reap in due time as God brings it along. Life is a divinely given opportunity to sow by the Spirit. Is that what you did this week? Is that what you will do this week to come? It's a divinely given opportunity set before us to do good, to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Look around in the household of faith this morning. Who needs encouragement? Who can you do good to this week? Who can you lift up? Who can you reach for in Graceland? What about outside the body of Christ? Do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. A believer's entire life is a unique but limited and finite opportunity to serve others in the Lord's name day after day after day with seeds that will reap a harvest in the days to come in due time.
and we don't have forever to pull it off. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Dallas Willard has an interesting take on that verse. It's about opportunity and the need to take advantage of the opportunity. He argues this, your time is already your opportunity. That's the word we're talking about. Your time is already poised to be wasted. It is in the pawn shop of souls. It has to be bought back, redeemed by proactive provision. Well, each day this week will become for us an occasion for good. Are we taking advantage? Jesus did. I love the shortest biography of Jesus that appears in Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good. Is that you? Is that me? You get a whole community of people in Graceland sowing by the Spirit, taking advantage of the opportunity. You have a powerful influence that brings glory to God through the way in which we live. May God lead us to that very place. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for the weary this morning. who have sowed and become impatient with the harvest. I want to pray for those who are about ready to quit or maybe who've quit but are going through the motions of church out of pride more than devotion to Jesus. I want to pray for those who are eager for this week to sow good to all men, and especially those of the household of faith, and, and they're praying over what they're sowing and just waiting for that first stem to come up out of the ground and head toward bearing fruit. I want to pray that you'd help us with patience, Lord. I want to pray for those who've had their consequences, paint them in a corner. May they hear your name. May they hear you calling their name. I pray that our children, Lord, would grow up here knowing that God wove into the fiber of how life works, the law of sowing and reaping, and that there's a sweet treasure in life, in obedience and faith. So help us, Lord. Speak to our hearts in this moment. Make us to be a responsive lot, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.